Welcome back, loyal listeners, to another week of the Real Japan Podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Kenzo. And I am Ferg. And as we do every week, we'll be giving you what's going on in Japan and how we feel about it as people living here. But first, we will see what Ferg has been up to since we recorded last week. Yes, sir. I was listening to an audiobook this past week. The audiobook was called Rising Sun by Michael Crichton. Have you oh, read yeah, this I've, book? I've never read that. Yeah, I've, I've seen the cover. Yeah. Well, I've read a few of Michael Crichton's more popular novels. You know, yeah, Spare, I read Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Mm. And I quite enjoyed them, so I thought I'd give this one a try. Yeah. <laughs> and I quite enjoyed it, but perhaps not for reasons that, uh, <laughs> that you know, the author hoped for. So it's, yeah. it was written in the early 90s, and it's a kind of a murder mystery, like okay. a detective story. And it was actually made into a movie as well with uh, Sean Connery achieving a grand total of 6.3 stars on IMDb. Basically, it's well, set... Well, I mean, that's not too bad. No, sir. I yeah. mean, those those raters on IMDb, they're, they're harsh, you know. Yeah, 7.5 and above is a very good movie, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. I mean, 6.3 is okay, right? I mean, it's not like I'm... Uh, mm. <laughs> so, sorry to break off on a tangent already, but... Uh, yeah. It's funny, if, um, like Japanese, like restaurant mm. review oh, yeah. websites. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like every single restaurant is like what? What is it? Because it's out of like four stars, I think. Out of five, well, I believe, right? Or is it out of five? Yeah, I think so. Like the the most famous one is a uh, mm. Guru Navi, I mm, think. Mm. And yeah, so so it, um, it's out of five stars. Yeah, I hope I'm right in saying that. Yeah, or or what? It doesn't really matter, like mm. <clears throat> whatever the case may be, but. Mm. Yeah, it's just funny because Japanese people, they're so courteous, right? Like, mm. no one leaves a zero. Yeah. But then very few people leave a five because then, you know, because it's never perfect, right? Mm. Mm. So what ends up happening is if you if you go to, like, if you go, like, Tokyo Ramen or whatever it is, then, like, every single one is, like, a, about four. Yeah, And, like, exactly. the really good ones are, like, 4.2. Exactly. And the really bad ones are like three point eight. Exactly. So it's just yeah. I don't know. I just think that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you go on like Yelp, like you know, the good ones are whatever the maximum is, and the really bad ones are whatever the minimum is. Hmm. And it, it makes sense. But yeah. In in any case, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, you're right. You have to get like super granular, don't you? And look, well, this one's 4.41. This one's like 4.3. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe this one is slightly better. It's that kind of level. But anyway, so Rising Sun by Michael Crichton. And it was made in the early 90s, right? Mm-hmm. And it's about a murder at, uh, or it was written in the early 90s, sorry. And it's about a murder at a fictional Japanese corporation called Nakamoto Japanese Corporation. And okay. 
it's we need to know like kind of the historical background when this book was written was you know right at the peak of like the bubble right when like japanese companies were buying sort of american companies and things yeah so they own like rockefeller center and that whole and like half of hawaii exactly exactly so a lot of the book focuses on like these kind of you know it's sort of like a a warning siren you know saying (laughs) like the japanese are taking over and basically japan was hmm. the equivalent of it was like the modern day china exactly exactly yes and it did you know they were Hmm. like the the west was kind of friends with them but they were always a bit suspicious too Mm. yeah the um yeah exactly i I did think of modern day china as i was reading it and yeah there was actually you know kind of japan bashing they called it as well where Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know politicians and things smashing up japanese like vcrs and things Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm for publicity but you know obviously public opinion has shifted since then and a lot there's been a lot of criticism of the book in saying that it's it's racist you know one one sort of typical review i found on goodreads this was by william galaney so thank you william on goodreads he said underwhelmed unimpressed Rising Sun is a book built strictly with the intention of delivering a perspective on international business that is tainted with xenophobia. It is bland in its writing and the elements are all things we've seen elsewhere. Give this a pass, regardless of the name on the cover. But... How do you feel about it? I mean, for me personally, I enjoyed reading it. Like, obviously, kind of sensibilities have shifted and when writing about different cultures and things and the problem is with this book it's not just about economic sort of alarm bells there's like the japanese are sort of exoticized in it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know i'm sure you can imagine i I read some management books and things from the 80s before and a lot of those were like well this is the japanese way and things yeah yeah you know and this book does sort of portray the japanese sometimes as kind of like manipulative or cunning, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it does definitely come across that way. But on the other hand, some of like the ways it describes Japanese business practices, some of it, some of it obviously is does appear xenophobic. But other stuff is kind of did ring slightly true with me, like like the, the kind of trust issues, uh, trust as in the sense of like monopoly issues. That mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know the way Japanese businesses are organized into like zaibatsu and keiritsu and things. Yeah, you will have, yeah, yeah. Y- you know, if you have like say Mitsubishi, then you have like a Mitsubishi, um, like maybe you have a convenience store that is, or like fast food restaurant that is owned by a company that is part of like the Mitsubishi family of companies then they will have right. all like their delivery services and things outsourced to yeah, like yeah, another yeah. Um, company that is in the Mitsubishi family, you know, and, the, and there's like the big, the big ones, you know, Sumitomo and Mitsubishi and um, mm-hmm. Itochi and, mm-hmm. and these different ones. So that, you know, I did think that was interesting and about kind of protectionism of Japanese business interests. 
versus yeah, like the yeah. Western focus on like free markets and things. I did think that yeah, was interesting. Yeah, like um, mm. you know, one one topic that frequently comes to my mind is uh the uh what's it called? Not incentives, but the um uh, like the thing they give to farmers to keep them mm. in business. Yeah, the subsidies. Yeah, subsidies. Yeah, that's the word mm. I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, and how like imported uh, rice, I believe, mm. has like a I I don't remember what the number is, but is huge taxes slash tariffs are on imported rice, so the Japanese rice farmers can stay in business. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. The other thing with imported rice that they do in order to prevent it gaining a foothold is that. They will re-export a lot of imported rice as uh, international aid. Oh. So Japanese consumers never become familiar with the brands and things. Yeah, because when I lived in, in California, mm. I, I ate the California rice, mm. which um, I don't know, I thought it was fine. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, is it as good as you know, the proper homegrown stuff? You know, maybe not, but mm. like, it, was, it was fine. And I'm sure a lot of Japanese consumers wouldn't mind if if it was significantly uh, cheaper, exactly. which it would be. Exactly right. Yeah. But yeah, there's just this crazy protectionism, especially mm. with rice, because I guess that's seen as like a national national treasure, right? Japanese mm. rice. So yes. yeah, there's there's just um, yeah. I'm I'm a free pro free market guy, so yeah. Agriculture in particular is very interesting, and as you say, the sort of produce agricultural produce market in Japan is very protected, and that's mm -hmm. why you know if you go into a Japanese supermarket, a lot of products, especially the fruit and vegetables, for example, are quite expensive. Compared to probably what you're used to from the from the West, yeah, well, yeah, and that's mm. and that's the problem, you know. I mean, the the consumer ends up being the loser here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, political reasons for it as well, you know, like the. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah. The support there's, the the mm. farmers have a lot of clout as far as um, you know, riling people up for elections and that exactly, all that. yeah, exactly. So I did think this book was interesting rising sun by michael Crichton. if any listeners out there are not easily offended <laughs> you know are prepared for some things that sound dated you know if i'm going to say it favorably racist if i'm not going to be favorable you know if you don't mind if you can look past that and sort yeah. of enjoy kind of revisiting how you know, people or some people viewed Japan in the late 80s and early 90s when Japan was at the peak of the bubble. You know, of course, after that, it wouldn't turn out as Crichton predicted. You know, mm -hmm. the, obviously the bubble burst and Japan entered a long period of stagnation. But yeah, if any listeners are interested in, in a look back like that, I would definitely recommend it. How about you? How was your past week? Sorry that went on a bit there. No, um... My past week, uh, not a whole lot. Mm. <laughs> uh, the the kids are back in school. 
That's good. So schools are open for the most part. Yes, sir. Um, which I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing, but... Hmm. At least it gets them off your hands, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I hope they just don't, they don't bring home the COVID. Yes, sir. Yeah. But, yeah, I wish I had, I wish I had something for us. Well, that's all right. You can't be flying high over Tokyo sipping pineapple juice every week, eh? Yeah, yeah, not every weekend, I'm afraid. No, sir. All right, shall we move on to our coronavirus roundup? Okie doke. So, we've seen basically a continuation of the trend last week. More falling, falling cases this past week on the whole. So, yep. most recent number is uh, 438 new cases bringing the total up to 68,618 uh, cases across Japan and 14 new deaths as a result of coronavirus, bringing the total number of deaths up to 1,300 as of mm-hmm. August 31st. And this included just 100 new cases in Tokyo, which is quite low much lower than we we've seen you know over the past month or so with cases yeah even even though mm. it was a monday which is typically low anyway but mm. e- e- even then that's low mm. exactly yeah. exactly so i mean hopefully we are heading in the right direction we can never tell with covid-19 but from looking at like the graph it does look like we're coming past the peak Either that or it's just uh, mm. waning before it waxes again. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, we'll, sir. we'll just have to see. Certainly. The, um, the National Institute of Infectious Diseases. So they said that they thought the virus might have, in Japan might have mutated since it began spreading around March. Okay. Basically, they did some analysis and they believed in Japan that when coronavirus cases first started appearing around March, that it came from the European strain of the virus. But by late June, when they did these uh, tests on the virus that I'm talking about now in this article, Mm. they found that it was different. From the European strain? Seems like in it, a good way? or Well, it seems that that may have been one reason why it's been passed sort of along many people asymptomatically in Japan. Perhaps it's suggested in the article. Mm. I mean, we have discussed the possibility of different strains on this podcast before. Yeah, yeah. That would seem to agree with it, but yeah, I mean, it sense. does seem that the progress of the virus has been more aggressive in the west than in japan yeah i wonder if Mm. um Mm. if you let's say you get a like a strain Mm. whatever strain Mm. and then you're exposed to a different strain like how does that did the article mention anything about that oh i see as in would you you have immunity yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like if if you get mm. a a, le- a weaker strain, I guess for lack yeah. of a better word, and you're ex- and then you go to the U.S. for instance, which appears to be a bit more 
mm. uh, virulent, mm. then are you good or? You know it wasn't I mean? mentioned in the article, but mm. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I hope they're they're similar enough to where. Mm. Yeah, because then that would if that was not the case, that would really complicate things for the vaccine. Oh, definitely. Yeah, because, certainly. You know, because if you got a vaccine in Japan for the Japanese one, mm. but then that didn't work for like the American one, mm. Mm. then you'd essentially still be stuck over here, and you wouldn't be able to go to the U.S. For instance. Yes, sir. Certainly. Yeah. And people wouldn't be allowed in from the U.S. and it would just be... Yeah, so I hope they're mm. similar enough. On the flip side, maybe they can use this research to assist in the development of a vaccine. You know, if they can identify strains of the virus, less likely to harm people. But if it still yeah, results yeah. in immunity, then... Yeah, then they could develop vaccines based on the weaker one. Yes, sir. So, yeah, that'd be cool. I hope, I hope, yeah, I hope that works out. Yeah. So, also in another coronavirus-related story, scientists at Dorshisha University, which is quite a well-known university, mm-hmm. uh, surveyed one thousand Japanese citizens and found that most people wear masks because of peer pressure or to fit in. Oh yeah, I don't doubt that for a second. Do you think so? Do you not think that the main reason pe- for people wearing masks is because they want to prevent the spread of the virus? Do you think it's really more because everyone else is wearing a mask? Oh yeah, mm. no doubt in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, according to the same survey, it found that over eighty percent of people wear masks either usually or sometimes, but seventeen point four percent said they do not at all wear masks. Whoa. Which I thought was quite strange. Of 1,000 people, so, you know, uh, 170 or so saying that they didn't wear masks at all? Over 1 in 10. Does that tally with your experience? No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I find that extremely hard to believe. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and and also, I think mm. we must um, we must note that mm. this is a Japanese survey. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm not sure if we can give it too much credit. I, I don't mm. know because Japanese, like a lot of Japanese surveys, and we've talked about this before on here. But yeah. Like th- they're not properly randomized, like samples. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but scientists who conducted the survey did suggest that perhaps the government and policymakers could take advantage of people's sort of propensity to bow to peer pressure, use this to introduce, you know, new poli- policies and things. What do you think of that? Could be a bit sinister, but. Yeah, using their cultural norms against them. Yes, sir. Yeah. And finally, in a slightly lighter story connected to coronavirus, but again about masks. So a couple of companies in Tokushima, Shikoku, 
the one of the islands, not the main island of Japan. They teamed yep. up to develop a mask that doesn't make your glasses fog up. So apparently it's sewn in a way that it completely covers your chin and has a kind of gap around the chin to let the air flow out. Sorry, it completely covers your nose and it has a gap around your chin to let the air flow out. Now, okay. I sent you a photo of this new mask a moment ago yeah. before we started recording. The What do you think of it? Yeah, so so the photo is of uh, there's a man and a woman. Yep. And they're wearing masks. Yep. And then in the middle, the woman is holding a mannequin head. Yes. With a mask on it. Now, this, the mask in the photo is a special mask designed okay. not to let your glasses fog up. <laughs> the man on the left side of the photo, his name is Naohiro Goto. He's the president of iCraft, which is one of the companies involved in creating these masks. Mm-hmm. Did you notice mm-hmm. anything about him? Uh, his glasses seem to be kind of foggy. <laughs> his glasses are <laughs> fogged up, right? <laughs> I don't know if this is the best picture to be using to to market your product. Exactly, exactly. Well, I don't know. Is is it just like the lighting? I don't know, but the woman's glasses look fine. You know, totally clear. Yeah, they're hella foggy, man. It looks foggy, doesn't it? I mean, as you say, perhaps we're being uncharitable. I suppose there is a possibility it could be the lighting. (laughs) Yeah, it does appear foggy though doesn't it his glasses it does Mm, yeah I don't I'm I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and and I don't think they I mean come on they can't be that dumb (laughs) can't they (laughs) I, I hope not yeah but yeah, I don't know. Do you have that problem with, with the foggy mm. mask? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because you wear glasses. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm. The, um, I mean, obviously, it depends on other factors as well, like how cold the air is outside. Yeah, things yeah, like yeah that. certainly. And as we've discussed on this podcast, you know, you can get wipes for your glasses that you can wipe and it stops them fogging up a little bit. That helps. Yeah, but yeah, it helps. But, I mean, if the conditions are, are bad sometimes, yeah, there's not much you can do. Mm. Like, you know, a real crowded train or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is one of the sort of big issues with wearing a mask for me. And it's actually one of the reasons that I prefer generally wearing the Abino masks, which have been widely derided here. But they're yeah. slightly smaller cotton masks. That were sent to all the everyone in Japan. Oh, those don't fog up as much. They don't because they're so small. I found <laughs> that because they're <laughs> ineffective, they don't fog you up. Exactly, but like as you can see in this photo, which is a special kind of mask, but the I mean the the point is like the same for normal masks. They mm. come down quite low over your chin. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Abino masks, it's like a lot of your chin is uncovered, so the air sort of goes out there instead of going mm. up. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Around right. your nose. Mm. 
I don't know. It seems like to me mm. that the the mm. so the reason that glasses fog up from mask is because mm. there's a poor seal, right? Yeah, between your, between your nose and the rest of your face. Exactly. So, so the, you know this new mask that you know you've sent mm. the photo of. Um, they combat the problem by letting the air escape through your chin. Yes, right. and being sealed around the nose, yes. Yeah, but I don't know, it just seems to me that if mm. if the nose was properly sealed, mm. then the air would, it would just naturally, it would have to escape from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't they just concentrate on sealing the nose and, and that would be enough? Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. But uh, I suppose it probably it helps if it has like a bit of ventilation. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm certain it. You know, at the bottom here, in the case of this. Yeah, place. like everything works in in concert. I'm sure, but mm. it seems like at the very least, if even just for like the cheap masks, mm. that if they just worked on the sealing the nose a bit better, then mm. it would, you know, at least alleviate the issue for a lot of people. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. Well, hopefully, us glasses wearers can soon find a mask that works and be freed of this inconvenience. Yeah, yeah let's hope so. Especially when, because when the weather starts cooling down again, it's gonna mm. rear its ugly head yes. once again. Yeah. Yes, certainly. Right. Well, shall we? Move on to our main stories. Okay. Well, we got a um, uh, a rather a big story. A big story. Uh, coming up. But before that, mm. I just thought I'd throw throw in a little fun one. Yep. Uh, you know, people might have seen this on. Uh, I think it was picked up on by like CNN and uh, like a, a lot of mainstream uh, mm. Western news outlets, but. Uh, for some some people might not have seen it. So uh, in Japan, in uh, Shibuya, which is one of the super like downtown type areas mm. in Tokyo, uh, there, there's a pretty b- big park, Yoyogi Park, which is um, it's probably maybe the biggest park in Tokyo. Yes, I suppose or, or so. one of the biggest. Certainly, mm. it, it's pretty big. Mm. And they got uh, some public restrooms there, as parks do. And recently, they put in these restrooms where the entire restroom is, you can see through it. It's like transparent. And you can see all the toilets and stuff in there. Ah, yes. The classic see-through toilet. And you might think, whoa, like, I got to go take care of my business in a see-through restroom. Mm. But rest assured, because once someone goes inside, mm. then the glass fogs up. Mm, clever. Through, I, I, I guess they, if you apply like a, a current to the glass, it has like some film inside it that, that fogs mm. up. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, it's uh, one. It's like a safety measure, so you know people can't go take their mm. drugs in the restroom. 
Hmm. That couldn't, kind of thing. But if it fogs up anyway, aren't they just... Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, that's hmm. true. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe it's more of a cleanliness thing, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah, I've seen pictures of it. It does look quite stylish, doesn't it? Yeah, but, it looks it looks kind of cool. But then would I hmm. want to use it? And I don't know about that. What if it malfunctions and you're right <laughs> in the middle of doing your business, exposed to all of your yeah. Yogi Park? That'd be wild. I do think it's a bit of a strange design choice in a way because, you know, I, I've seen this type of glass used in meeting rooms and things before. Mm. Which kind of makes sense, you know, if you, like, you can it, make it appear like a nice open plan office when people don't need the privacy of the meeting mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having a toilet displayed kind of is not really super attractive, right? Like, you'd think for the park it would be better if they made, like, a nice building with natural materials that look quite stylish and modern that might fit in better mm, yeah, as it yeah as it stands now it's kind of like when it's not in use you have a nice toilet being displayed yeah pretty much sh- <laughs> yeah i'm not sure how i feel about that i suppose maybe it might be helpful from a kind of accessibility point of view like people can see oh there it is that's where i need to go yeah yeah yeah, I, I guess that's maybe that's the primary thing where people can mm. like it's immediately obvious if there's anyone in there. Mm, yeah, you don't have to do the whole like you know you you, you go in there but then it's occupied and you're like shit. Mm, mm. Like it eliminates that, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. Maybe, maybe I'll if I ever get a chance, I'll go down there and check it out. And check it out. Just make sure you lock the door properly. So, it's... <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if it's triggered by, yeah, like I wonder what triggers it. Is it locking mm. the door triggers it, or is it like a motion thing? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I hope it's not a locking the door thing because because you know, mm. someone forgets to lock the door. Yeah. You know? Oof. The implications. Yes, sir. Someone might see a terrifying sight. Yeah. Oof. I wonder as well, it must be appear fogged on the inside as well, surely? It's not like a one-way thing, well, is it? Like a one-way mirror, so like you, you yeah. never know if it's working. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a thrilling experience. That would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there before we... uh we get into the the meat of this week's podcast yeah and i mean maybe i'm being too cynical but i i guess maybe one of the reasons why it's not some nice attractive building with natural materials is because uh you know it's a good opportunity for some company to get a contract to use their their nice special glass oh yeah yeah there's there's always something corporate something going on yeah oh well Maybe we're just too cynical, eh? Yeah, maybe. Right, on to our next story. It's a biggie. 
probably listeners are wondering why haven't we talked about it already? Why have we not mentioned it in this episode already? But our favourite Japanese PM, Abe-chan, is announced last week on Friday the 28th of August that he will mm. be resigning because of... Yeah, he's out. His poor health. He's out. Yeah. Goodbye, Abe. Yeah, and see you, man. This follows reports in tabloid magazines about his health for the past four to six weeks or so. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in and out of the... Uh, not hospitalized, but he's mm. been having checkups pretty frequently. And exactly. So, pe- so people were yeah, speculating that... Um, Maybe his health was t- deteriorating because um, that's why he resigned. Exactly. The, fir- the first time around back in... Uh, 2007. Like 2007, yeah. Mm. Yes. So, yeah, people were speculating that maybe it was happening again. And, yep, lo and behold, uh, yep, happened again. Lo and behold, he announced his resignation, you know, the day after a bunch of government ministers denied that there was any issue with his health. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for listeners that aren't aware of the background here, he suffers from a condition called ulcerative colitis, I believe it's called. And mm. as Kenzo mentioned, this was the same reason that he resigned as Prime Minister in 2007. He just served for a year as Prime Minister then in 2007. Yeah, yeah. But apparently his health... His health recovered, owing partly to a new drug. And as a result, in 2012, when he was recovered, he became he, Prime Minister again. Mm-hmm. Mm. He successfully beat Shigeru Ishiba, a rival politician, on that occasion to become leader of the LDP and Prime Minister. Yep. And... You know, he has served in power for about eight years and his condition has worsened over the past few months. Apparently he is on a new treatment now, a kind of IV treatment, but there is no guarantee that it will help his condition. And so for that reason, he decided to step down. Well, well, we wish him the very best. We do. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I did think personally, when the tabloid article started coming out, I was sort of watching him in press conferences and things. And he, did, he didn't he did appear to be the picture of health. You know, it no, w- yeah, I, I agree. He, like, he just seemed like really... It wasn't just that he was looked tired. Like, mm. he just seemed like he was not in good health. Yeah, exactly. Know, to, yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to phrase it, but he often he, he just yeah seemed seemed a bit weak. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah, he often spoke in a way that sounded a little bit kind of breathless, almost not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like not like he was out of breath and panting, but just a little bit like you know I don't know like someone maybe who's been standing up for hours and hours and who wants to sit down and that tiredness is coming out in their in their voice, perhaps. It, it was that kind of feeling, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly didn't help that just the way he speaks in general. Mm, like, he, yeah, he, he, hey, he sounds 
like like you said, like kind of just tired and and out of breath. Yeah, exactly. But then, yeah, when when his health really was uh, declining, mm. like it it just made him appear that much more weaker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I did watch some of the news footage of his original resignation in 2007. And he mm. looks so different. Oh, yeah, this job has taken its toll on the man. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in lots of politicians. You know, when you look at the old footage of Tony Blair in the UK or Obama in the US, yeah, yeah. you know, before they came to power, right when they came to power and then when they left office, you know, years later. These these jobs certainly take their toll, it seems. Oh, yeah. That will be sure. us after a few years of doing the real Japan. <laughs> Before and after. <laughs> yes, sir. But I did mention that he uh, was in power. He was in power twice, but on this occasion, he was in power for almost eight years, a little bit less. Mm-hmm. But this made him the longest continuously serving Japanese PM, Japanese Prime Minister, in the post-war period. He achieved that record on Tuesday the 24th of August. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny. It's like, oh, I see what you did there. Do you think he was, he he wanted that? So he was... Oh, yeah. Do you think, yeah. Well, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, hell yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, mm. like I would have taken it a step further. I would have resigned like the day of. Oh, do you think? Because <laughs> I'd just be like, all right, I got my name in the history books now. I'm out of here. See ya. Yeah. And then when reporters question you, you say, oh, that rec, no, didn't know about that record. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> First I've heard of it. Do you think he was just counting down the days on his calendar? You know he was. When can I be done with this? this job yeah i just want to sit at home and play with my little dog and (laughs) (laughs) you know listen to music and things yeah he actually beat the record of his great uncle the sibling of oh yeah it was his great uncle yeah yeah Yeah, they're they're the super like they're kind of like the clintons or the bushes exactly yeah but the japanese equivalent yeah eisaku sato uh, he was in power around the 60s and 70s for 2,798 days. Mm-hmm. So Abe obviously got just a few more days than that. And if we include his total period in office, so including his first term as prime minister, he is the longest serving prime minister in the history of Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's the longest continuously serving in the post-war period and including both these terms, the longest serving uh, ever yeah i mean it's like in uh mm. it's like in football right i mean you got it or soccer or mm. whatever you want to call it I mean, you got to get all three trophies you know to to be the best <laughs> yes sir. so yeah so he had to get you know all two trophies so he could be the undisputed champion of yes. prime ministers <laughs> yes sir so you mentioned that he's very connected politically compared him yeah. to the clintons and yes, certainly, he is political blue blood in Japan. His family has a long tradition of being involved yeah, in politics. Yeah. His grandfather, Nobusuke Kishi, was also prime minister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I suppose the big question, now that he's resigning, is what will his legacy be? Will the history books look favourably upon Abbe? Or has he not achieved as much as he should have done, perhaps, during such a long period in office? And just quickly as well, it's very rare as well for Japanese prime ministers to be in office for so long. You know, before Abe, there was kind of like a a string of prime ministers lasting for like a year or so. Yeah, it was really like a revolving door situation before Abe. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there was Koizumi in in the 2000s, but on the whole, most Japanese prime ministers are in power for relatively short periods. So certainly Abe's reign has been notable in that respect but Mm. what would you say before we go into some of the details what do you think about his legacy do you think the history books will look favorably upon Shinzo Abe's term in office um I get the feeling it's going to be kind of split do you think as far as how history is going to view him yeah Mm. because he he set out to do so much Mm. Mm. And I think he didn't really produce results, mm-hmm. like concrete results. You know what I mean? I mean, like the economy, yeah. like, is it better now than, I mean, aside from all the COVID shit, but like, is it, is it better off now than it was, you know, eight years ago? Mm. Like, it's, it's kind of questionable, you know? Yeah. I, I, I certainly feel like he, he, he did what he could. Mm. Like I don't, I don't think there was any lack of you know either effort or, or like patriotism or you know whatever on his part. Like mm. he, he he certainly tried, and I, I think I think he he should be given credit for that. Mm. But it's just like the things he was he was trying like um uh, like one of them is more women in the workplace, right? That was one of the initiatives. Yep. Of uh of Abenomics mm. and. I mean, he he put in place, you know, different different measures to try to, you know, advance that agenda. But mm. I, I, and maybe it's just a cultural thing too. But essentially, like the 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 feeling I get is that it's just turned into kind of this weird system of like quotas. Mm. Yeah, you know, where it's like, okay, well, we need twenty percent women in management. Or, or like that's our like say that's like your target you know this big corporation and mm. so they just shoehorn women into managerial positions mm. so they can report that they, hey we achieved our target and yeah yeah it, it's it, you know like the target is is the is the goal in and of itself mm. and it, there there isn't really any effort made to like change like the corporate culture so women have an easier time to get into management. It just becomes like just playing a numbers game. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he, I I think he did the best that he could given the hand he was dealt. And Mm. yeah, that's kind of my take on his, uh, his legacy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I would probably take a more negative view I think I I do agree certainly that he it's not for lack of effort or for lack of you know patriotism or nationalism some would say but certainly I think he loves Japan and and 
you know, has, has put everything into this job, you know, to the effect that probably it has been a large contributing factor to what has wrecked his health. I'm sure yeah, it, the yeah. stress of the job has made his condition worse, but I do feel on the other hand that, oh, and sorry, and he, and he has also faced, as you said, very bureaucratic barriers. Mm-hmm, right. You know, it's difficult for politicians to get things done here because of, you know, the sort of ingrained culture that it's difficult to make these big government organizations move decisively. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think, like I said, he's had a somewhat unique opportunity in Japan with such a strong power base, such a long term in office to cause change. And I don't think he has really done that. Yeah. But yeah, if we talk about Abenomics, because you, you mentioned that. So Abenomics, I'm sure listeners are aware, but kind of Abe's program, economic program to basically kickstart Japan uh, or the economy of Japan was the idea after the long period of stagnation, you know, following the collapse of the bubble. We've had Mm -hmm. steady, like, deflation in Japan for many, many years, and the idea was to, you know, invest in public works and things, pump up the stock market, move toward moderate inflation, and, you know, create a sense of vibrancy about the economy in Japan, basically. Yeah. But... You know, I think on balance, it has to be viewed as a failure, really, when you look at... And I mean, I know people will say that, well, the central bank is separate, but I think in the case of Abenomics, you have to look at it together with the policies of the central bank. Basically, they've printed money at an unprecedented rate and cut interest rates to unprecedented levels, you know, negative interest rates. for Yeah, negative, yeah. About seven years straight, these policies have been going on. You know, between Abe's administration and Haruhiko Kuroda's uh, leadership of the Bank of Japan. And, you know, basically investors have made money from rising stocks. But the economy, the real economy, doesn't seem to have improved. Well, and you also mm. got to, like, you know, you say rising stocks. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I mean, that's a true statement. Stocks are higher. But mm. if you just look at, like, the percentage growth in like the Nikkei versus like the S&P. Exactly. Like it's, it's like it's 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 sad, really. Like like who would want to invest in Japanese stocks? Because like you you're not you're getting nothing. You get like a shit dividend and the stock price just stays the same for 10, 20, 30 years. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's terrible. Exactly. I mean, the Inflation as well has been consistently behind the Bank of Japan's 2% target. The national debt has continued to rise. That hasn't uh, been taken under control. Mm-hmm. You know, I think on the whole, I have a negative view of Abenomics, and I think that the quantitative easing as well may well have severe implications down the line. You know. Yeah, it's... Um... It basically, it's just kicking the can down the road. Exactly, exactly. Yeah from, yeah, from an economic standpoint, yeah. Exactly. Also, I mean, there hasn't been... And I'm not sure about the statistics, but I think uh, equality probably hasn't improved. If anything, it's probably got slightly worse. I don't think ordinary people have benefited from abenomics very much at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, you're probably right. So, you know, that's on the economic front. I mean, some people will say that he kind of like helped Japan recover from a recession. But as you say, when you compare it to global economies, certainly given the scale of the measures to try and push Japan in that direction, it seems like it has not been successful. Yeah, which, which I mean, it just begs the question, like, hmm. like what does someone have to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, or Not exactly. someone, but like a government have to do in, in Japan to get people to... Because I think ultimately the problem is people just don't spend any money over here. Mm, yeah. Like, I feel, I feel like that's kind of one of the core issues with, with why the Japanese economy sucks. Yeah, but I kind of feel that you know, so if we look at like Western economies, like the UK and the US, for example, mm. you have a larger degree of inequality. Uh, and there are some yeah. people that have a yeah. lot of disposable income and they're willing to spend that on big flashy cars, mm. expensive vacations, flashy clothes and things. In Japan, obviously, there are rich people and there are people who make extravagant purchases. But on the whole, when we look at the economy as a whole, the we the level of there's much less inequality and that means that on the positive side people there's you see there's much much less visible poverty in japan i'm sure anyone yeah, who lives yeah. here is, you know has probably experienced that that most the vast majority of people are able to afford the basics of life you know you mm. see far fewer homeless people in Japan, for example, far fewer people really struggling at that crucial level, like to feed themselves, for example. But on, yeah, the, yeah. on the opposite side of that, you have even people who are very successful are not making like these kind of huge, huge, gigantic, like, um, you know, salaries and things. Right, right, right. Like, yes, of course, they're well off and they live very comfortably and have nice homes and nice cars and things, but they're not making these huge extravagant purchases. You know, with yeah, the, um, just mm. uh, on on that note, like, mm. uh, so I, I I dabble a bit in the in the stocks and whatnot, mm. and and so yeah. sometimes I read through um like financial reports mm. and all that, and, and you know, in in annual filings, mm. it, it says it doesn't list individually. I think in the U.S. in the U.S. it does, but in Japan, like how much like the CEO makes, yeah. But so in Japan, they don't they don't have to like there's a threshold. I think if the CEO makes over a million dollars a year, mm. then it has to be like an individual line item. Yeah, or it has to be you know disclosed. Um, but if if the CEO makes less than a million, then it's just you know here's how much the entire board of directors makes, mm. and like that's the only figure that needs to be uh, presented. But but yeah, like. I was the vast majority of like in excess of 90% of like Japanese companies, the CEO makes less than a million. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost unimaginable, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know, for listed companies in, in the West. Yeah. Like, Cause like, mm. I, I would, I would venture to guess the, probably the vast majority of companies listed on S and P the CEO makes at least a million. Yes. Yeah. You know, usually a hell of a lot more. Mm. Um, but yeah, in Japan, like 
90% plus of companies on the, the Nikkei 225, like the mm-hmm. CEO makes less than a million. So yeah, there's definitely, like, like Ferg was saying, there's, there's a lot more equality. Um, mm-hmm. But then the, the ceiling's also a lot lower for like salaries in general. Yeah. So I don't know. I think maybe that affects people's propensity to spend you know, or spend big, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, perhaps that is one reason why the economy has really struggled to take off at all since since the, the bubble burst in the early 1990s. Yeah, and, and this is and this is also like one of mm. what, another thing that grinds my gears. Yeah, is uh, and we we talk about this on the podcast a lot, but Japanese homes. Hmm. Like home ownership is 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 a liability, yeah. In Japan, which is just unfathomable for me. But because in, you know, in in the West, let's say you buy a house for I don't know a million or whatever it is, hmm. you buy your house and then ten years down the line, you can sell it for more than what you paid for it. Usually. Hmm. I mean, barring some you know economic disaster, but in, in in general, if you buy a house for however much, you can sell it for more down the line. So it's it's an appreciating you know, like it's an investment, really. You know, it's a proper yeah. investment. You buy something and then you sell it for more at a later date. Mm. But in Japan, it's the opposite. If you buy a house for you know, let's say a million. Um, and then let's say, you know, so it's a million for the house and like the land is, let's just make it simple. So the land is 500,000 and the house is 500,000. And so, yeah, you buy it and then, you know, 20 years later, you, you want to sell it. You're only going to get back 500,000. You're only going to get back the value of the land that it sits on. The house is, is worthless. Yep. Like literally it has no value. If anything, uh. it, you may actually have to because it's going to get demolished for whoever buys it next Mm. so you might even be on the hook to pay to demolish it Mm. so uh, you won't even get back the value of the land you'll actually get less oh certainly yeah i mean as you say it's not like a this is not like a steady depreciation really with home ownership in japan right it's like you say you know, people almost have like an aversion to buying secondhand homes. Yeah, there's like an allergy. Yeah, mm. really. Yeah, to buying secondhand uh, homes. Mm. Yeah, even just homes that are like a few years old will be noticeably less. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, mm. the analogy is like buying a car. Yes, because e- yes. even in the West, right? If you buy a car new, I mean, the second you drive it off the lot, it's already worth a lot less. Mm. And that's essentially what, but yeah, just take that logic and apply it to a house. Mm. And yeah, so it just creates this, um, this society or the system where people can't accumulate wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't, because no one really has any proper assets. Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainly, so, but but yeah. So unless that changes, mm. then I, I I don't really see any way that 
like Japan's going to be able to get back on his feet. Yeah. But, I mean, so economics aside, yeah. The other sort of negative factor I feel in Abe's term as prime minister has been these scandals. You know, his term has been marred yeah. by like a number yeah. of political kind of corruption scandals. Mm-hmm. Perhaps mm-hmm. two of the most notable ones. There was the Moritomo scandal, which we've discussed in detail on this podcast, yeah. so yeah. we won't go into that again. Any interested listeners can go back and listen to our deep dive on that topic. Yep, yep. But it involved a kind of land sale cover-up by the government. I've been never directly implicated in that, but certainly appeared that the people involved were very close to the Abbey family. Mm-hmm. And the other uh, big political scandal was the Sakura Omirukai, the cherry blossom viewing parties. Now, this came out a few years ago, that these cherry blossom viewing parties, you know, they're tax-funded parties, and the right. idea is that they celebrate kind of like achievements, usually by athletes and, um, you know, notable people. But basically it turned out that the Abbey administration had been inviting friends and supporters of Abbe to these parties, kind of like using them as, you know, giving people a little bit of payback for political favours they may have received. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is a big no-no if it's taxpayer-funded. Oh, yes, certainly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, of course, this caused a huge... Scandal. You know, these and and other scandals have... I think they've really marred the public's view of the Abbey government. Yeah, I I guess I take a a somewhat even more cynical view Mm. with regard to that. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that this shit goes on all the time Mm. with, 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 with any administration, right? It was just that for whatever reason, the Abbey people were the ones that got caught yeah so i don't really like me you know me personally i don't i don't really uh view it too negatively i I just Mm. think it's part for the course really and they were just dumb enough to get caught yeah that is interesting yeah 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 i mean you so you also have the you know a big sort of theme of abby's time in power has been Japan's international relations and particularly Japan's sort of defense stance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and the whole trying to change the constitution, that whole thing too. Exactly, exactly. Which, you know, he did fail at that, but he did sort of revise it, the interpretation of the constitution, I guess you would say, to allow this yeah, kind of collective yeah. defense, but which he pushed through despite kind of public opposition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he's generally sort of characterized as like a nationalist and yeah, he is a member of Nippon Kaigi as well. Japan Conference, I guess you would translate the name of it as. Basically, this is like a political organization that is usually characterized as far-right nationalist mm-hmm. organization that holds like a revisionist view on history and Japan's role in World War II in particular. Yeah, you know, sort of like denying Japan's involvement in the Nanjing, the rape of Nanjing, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in addition to those 
you know, the sort of revisionist view of history is anti-LGBT, anti-feminism, anti-gender equality, basically ultra-conservative. Mm-hmm. You know, and that his stance in those, on those kind of issues has been reflected in this sort of hawkish security stance, trying to, you know, make Japan take a more active military role on the world stage. Yeah, yeah. Which has caused tension with uh, regional neighbours, particularly China and South Korea. You know, there are historical reasons why those two countries are very opposed to Japan taking a more active role militarily. Yeah, because it didn't end well for him uh, last time around. No, sir, exactly. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah, he he did sort of tone, he has toned down his nationalist rhetoric a little bit this time in his focus more on the economic side since he was in his yeah, second yeah. period in office. You know, his first period in office around 2006 and 2007 was more strongly characterized by nationalist kind of views. Yeah, he was more of an asshole back then. Yeah, exactly. You know, this he did visit the Yasukuni Shrine as prime minister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. You know, this kind of controversial shrine where, you know, in addition to normal, uh, you know, war dead people who died in the war, there are also some war criminals honored in the shrines that's become a kind of symbol of Japanese nationalism and particularly yeah, with regard yeah. to Japan's role in World War II but he did visit that shrine as Prime Minister in, in his official capacity as Prime Minister in December 2013 this caused you know obviously sort of a lot of ill feeling uh, from South Korea and uh, China and other mm-hmm. governments as well did comment on it as well but particularly those two countries you know since then he sort of backed away from visiting it publicly but he has sent offerings and many politicians from his administration have visited so i think yeah yeah i think that has been a perhaps of a kind of a misstep sort of the lack of sensitivity toward the other country's sort of historical feeling in that area right yeah and then just the other thing would be that in in recent months as well, his response to the coronavirus has been pretty poor, I think most people would say. Despite so? Well, the problem is that if you look at the actual results, obviously Japan has fared much better than other countries. But yeah. on the whole, you know, certainly than countries in the West. But if you consider the policies, you know, Abinom masks, I think most people would agree has been a failure. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was dumb. The go-to travel campaign as well. People have very mixed feelings yeah. about it. And on the whole negative, I would say about, you know, the basic idea of introducing a travel campaign in the midst of a pandemic seems misguided. But also the way in which mm-hmm. it was implemented, you know, first saying that, well, you know, okay, people from Tokyo can go and then saying no, they can't. And then all the confusion about what happens if people from Tokyo want to cancel their trips that they booked as a result of the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah 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 the um also just the whole kind of although all people in japan all residents of japan did get a hundred thousand yen about a thousand dollars eventually there was confusion initially as they initially planned just to give three hundred thousand yen to households in need then they changed that and then right, the distribution right, right. of that seemed was quite delayed it seems but 
it does seem that most people got it in the end. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm too harsh there, but I do think the general opinion has been that probably his corona, his administration's efforts to tackle the coronavirus pandemic have been a little bit lacking. Mm. You know, if if we look at some of like the positive points from his time and power. You know, some people might view Abenomics positively, as we discussed. In addition, like based somewhat on his friendship with Trump, he has, but also before that as well, when Obama was in power, he has sort of developed stronger US and Japan ties in terms of security. Yeah, yeah, he has, yeah. He also uh, brought the Olympics to Tokyo or oversaw the... Um, you know, the decision to bring the Olympics to Tokyo and the successful Ooh. bid. That's a, a, a tricky topic. What would you say? Would you say that goes in the positive column or the negative column? I say it goes in the super negative column. Oh, do you, do you think? Well, if his focus is economics, then certainly he should have not had the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And... You know, because it won't now be held in his in his during his reign. Right, right. I mean, if it had been held this year, it might have been viewed as a sort of crowning end of his time in office. Yeah, yeah. But it won't yeah. be viewed that way now. And if it is a real failure, then yeah, I'm sure that will end up going in the negative column. But yeah, yeah. Just to me, overall, it seems like there's perhaps more in the negative column than the positive column. Mm. And I guess for me, I have uh, my my bar is really low for yeah. for politicians. Yeah. So, I, like, and this is just purely my opinion, but as, mm. as far as I'm concerned, the fact that he got anything done at all mm. is uh, is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I, I might just be jaded now because of uh, mm. you know the U.S. these past four years of just like basically nothing. Yeah. Has has gotten accomplished. Um, yeah, and before COVID, the I mean, the economy was great, mm. but that's like it kind of took care of itself. I mean, there's not there, like there's nothing really that the Trump administration mm. like really did that mm. kind of that helped the economy along. Yeah, other th- other than just you know pass all these tax breaks or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, some people would say the same about the Obama administration. I mean, obviously, they were helped by coming out of, like, a global recession. The stocks were right, yeah, coming yeah, up from the low the, point. Um, to reuse the term again, yeah, mm. the bar was super low mm. for the Obama administration. There was only nowhere to go but up at that point. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, without delving too much into U.S. politics, but, uh, yeah, I just... Yeah, I guess I have very low expectations for politicians in general. Mm. So, especially in in Japan too, because it's just always just these people, these do these old dudes bickering on TV, and nothing ever gets done. Yeah. Well, I mean, now we can talk about some of the potential successes. We don't want to go on for too long, so we can just talk about this quickly. Yeah. But just one quick point before we talk about this, one interesting thing it seems about politics in Japan is that like for example when I mentioned like the negative response to the scandals during Abe's administration and the negative 
feeling toward, for example, his administration's response to the coronavirus. Mm. Like when these things happen in Japan, people don't automatically switch to the other parties. It just kind of seems that they maybe fade away from the LDP, Abe's party. Like the support for Abe's party will drop, but then support for the other parties doesn't necessarily rise. They just kind of become like politically homeless, I read it described as、mm, in an article. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think that? Like, it, it kind of seems to me more like in the UK, like people will switch between parties. In Japan, it's、mm-hmm, more like、mm-hmm. you have a very strong LDP、uh, administration with a strong base of support, or you have one that is, has a weaker base of support, but you don't really see that support、right. moving to. A, To the other parties in any noticeable way? Yeah. That's,、um, that's an interesting point. Yeah.、Mm. It, it, it feels like in, in, Japan, in Japanese politics, as far as how people, you know, how people in the, in the general public view their own political affiliation, it's、mm. like you're either. Pro LD, like, you're either pro LDP or anti LDP. Yeah. Right? It's like you're, you're, not, you're not LDP or another party or another party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that definitely seems. Well, I think part of the problem is because、mm. the LDP is, is, has always been there and、mm. it's probably always going to be there.、Mm. But then all the other political parties, like they'll like merge and split and they're always changing their name. Yeah. And it's. Yeah, it just becomes like it's like a total shit show, like the other political parties. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think people just, yeah, so it just turns into, you know, are, are, you, are you with the top dog or are you against the top dog?、Mm. Those, those, those are pretty much, those are like, I think in practice, like those are the two political parties. Yeah. You know, it's like there's LDP and there's other. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and just super quickly, one more point for, about his reign has been I mean, we could go on forever about the different factors, but one final factor is like the energy policy, I think, has been a bit of a failure too, because obviously Japan,、oh, as an yeah, island country,、yeah. shut down, sort of relies, relied heavily on fuel imports, and nuclear was a very good source of power for Japan prior to the、yep. Fukushima disaster because it didn't require those huge fuel imports of coal and oil、mm-hmm. and things from.、Mm-hmm. Abroad, but then they shut down all their nuclear reactors after the Fukushima disaster in 2011.、Yep. And instead of coming up with a sensible energy policy based on like a mix of you know,、um, renewable power, less sort of polluting power sources, the government has basically just pushed ahead with reopening nuclear stations. Just, but there's been so much public opposition to that. And so many hurdles in terms of regulations that it hasn't worked at all. And the restarts of the nuclear power reactors have been so delayed. Yeah. That they've had to rely on fossil fuels, you know, coal. Japan stands out among developed nations in its reliance on coal. You know, yeah, I think,、um, mm. yeah, the Japanese energy policy、mm. has just been throw more coal at the problem. Exactly, exactly. So, and I think、yeah. that's going to be of increasing importance in the years to come as we get, you know, as sort of climate change worsens and, and、uh, companies take, need to take a, 
uh, countries need to take a more critical view of their energy policy. Yeah. I think the yeah. steps that Japan is not taking now will come back to haunt it in future. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we can't, you know, we could talk about different factors related to his time in power for, you know, forever. But let's move on to some of the potential successes. As you mentioned, in Japan, it always seems to be these kind of old men bickering and playing out their old political factions. Yep, playing their games of 4D chess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And probably we'll have more of the same for at least the next year or so. The It will be a member of the LDP who takes power because they have control of the lower house until September 2021 when Abe's second term in office was set to end. So they yep. will choose the new leader. And don't want to go over all the candidates because we're kind of running out of time a little bit, but Shigeru Ishiba is a notable figure, 63 years old. He's kind of on a different side of the LDP to Abe. And he has been an outspoken critic yeah. of Abe in the past. He has a similar hardline kind of stance on security. He is also a member of Nippon Kaigi, but and he wants Japan to uh, build nuclear weapons or to have the capability to build nuclear weapons. But on the other hand, he's kind of criticized Abe's uh, economic policies, in particular the Bank of Japan's uh, ultra-low interest rates. The interesting thing about Ishiba is that he's actually come out on top of a poll conducted by Kyodo News with... uh, 34.3% 34.3% of support from respondents. And to give listeners an idea, the next candidate received 14.3%. So that was Yoshihide Suga. So he does have a yeah. quite a noticeable lead uh, according to that particular poll. But on the other hand, he has, or he probably has less support from politicians within the LDP. Yeah. And it seems that maybe partly because of coronavirus, partly because of political expediency, the LDP is going to probably move toward selecting a new leader without uh, holding a vote among like just the normal members of the LDP. They'll only hold it among like the politicians. So Mm -hmm. although Ishiba has support from like the normal, normal people. I think probably has less support within the party, yeah. So I think it's unlikely that he will become prime minister. Yeah. And just a funny Mm. story about um, Ishiba. Yeah. Um, I forget what it was. He was campaigning for for some, I think for re-election. And in in Japan, and I I guess in other countries as well, but he he would do speeches, you know, in different areas, right? Mm. to try to get votes and i don't know what the deal was like he didn't have any sunscreen available (laughs) or something because he was campaigning i think i guess it was during the summer i I don't quite remember but yeah and then a a couple days later i think after the elections when he was re-elected and he had a press conference and like his face was like bright red and you could see like the skin peeling off his face yeah i get this man some sunscreen that's yeah have have some self-respect man that looks terrible he does look kind of funny doesn't he He has like a very kind of round face 
Yeah, yeah, he looks like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how quite to... Ah. Uh, yeah. Like, like, if you took a bean bag and, like... <laughs> and, like, glued some some buttons to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's like a like a Pillsbury Doughboy type, you know, like a lovable character mm. looking. Yeah. But yeah. So he, he he's one potential candidate for PM um, or president of the LDP. He's sort of on a different side of the party to Abe, as I mentioned. The Yep. Probably the candidate that I feel is most likely to take the position is Yoshihide Suga, 71 years yeah. old. He's a chief cabinet secretary at the moment, so uh, listeners who do follow Japanese closely will be aware of him, and even those who don't might have seen pictures of him. He, notably, he was the guy who announced the new era name of Rewa to the public. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and just mm. for, so listeners, and like, what is the chief cabinet secretary? Mm. Um, it, it's... I think in the U.S. is kind of like the the White House chief of staff, yeah, and also the kind of the vice president, yes, ro- rolled into one, yes. So it's a it's a quite a powerful position. Yes, certainly. He's basically been Abe's right hand man. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we did discuss uh, a few weeks ago how you know his perhaps he was being sort of pushed forward as like a candidate for the. The post Abe regime. Yeah, so yeah. the reason I think that he uh, is likely to take the take the reins is because I think probably he'll be viewed as a sort of safe pair of hands until October twenty twenty one. Yeah, it'll basically mm. be Abe two until exactly twenty twenty one. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and he has a lot of support from. Uh, senior or powerful politicians within the LDP as well. Yeah. Because yeah, who, mm. they're basically like the, uh, like the godfathers within the LDP and they exactly. have, they have their little factions and, and people that they can order around to vote for, you know, whoever they see fit. Exactly. And yeah, he seems to have the most support among these, these godfather types. Uh, yes. A notable one, Toshihiro Nikai, <laughs> who we mentioned before. He's like yeah. the Secretary General of the LDP, but he's also the head of the Travel Agents Industry Group. And as we discussed, <laughs> and probably... he outsourced work to himself. <laughs> yeah, played a part in setting up the yeah. fabulous go-to travel campaign. And uh, sadly, Yoshihide Suga is also a member of Nippon Kaigi, so no getting mm. away from, from that group if he takes the reins. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I mean the the earliest we'll see any mm. any significant change, if at all, is probably yeah uh, October of next year. Yes, and then in yeah. addition to those two, we also have Fumio Kishida and Taro Kono. I think uh, Taro Kono is quite interesting. He, uh, you know, he he was sort of seen as like a maverick, but. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think he's kind of toned down his rhetoric. He is—I don't know—he just kind of is interesting the way he speaks. There's something about him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I—I I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but he, yeah, he has—he has, he has a, 
a unique manner of speaking, let's put it that way. Yeah, he doesn't appear as polished sometimes as Japanese politicians, mm-hmm. maybe. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what it is. I just I think he's interesting. He's slightly younger than the other candidates as well, maybe. And and I believe he his English is is like really good. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think. think you're right. Yeah. Um, and the, and Fumio Kishida as well is uh, he's quite interesting too. I mean, I think he's unlikely to take the position, although he could do. He is perhaps slightly more dovish in security terms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than the other candidates. And I think Kono uh, announced that he was not going to seek the the PM position. I think. Oh, I see. Announced that. Sorry, I must have missed that. Yep. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I don't know if it's been like official, but yeah, yeah. I think last night there was an article that mentioned that. Oh, okay. Yep. Mm. I think he's a member of one of the factions that is going to support mm. Suga. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah, he so he decided to to not do it mm. yeah which is unfortunate because yeah he would have been an interesting guy to throw in there yeah i mean he's still pretty sort of you know hails from the same kind of nationalist school as mm-hmm. yeah. and, and yeah. sue and these other politicians but i don't know i just i found him a bit more interesting perhaps to watch and listen to than some of the other yeah things. yeah it's fun it's funny that you this is the first time we've talked about it but mm. yeah you kind of felt the same way that i did that he yeah. uh, He's a, an interesting figure that... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly more interesting than Sugar, I, I, I found. Personally. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Was there anything more to say on our big story this week? No, yeah, I think I think that about covers it. Um, so the... I guess the conclusion is mm. we'll probably be getting Suga, mm. uh, which will be Abe 2.0, and we'll yeah. be talking about him until... October of next year. So, yep. So, listeners have that to look forward to, eh? Yeah. Uh, best of luck. <laughs> to, and, and it might not be him, but probably, probably will be. Yeah. It seems yeah. most likely at this point. Yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, once the uh, final results are in, we'll be sure to report on that as well. Mm. So, final sort of answer. What's in your IMDb rating? How many stars is Abby getting? Oh, hmm. Uh, either uh, five and a half to a six. <sighs> maybe, maybe five and a half. Not bad. I'm going to yeah. go with a, a four. Four. Ooh, that's yeah. harsh. No, maybe three, in fact. Ooh. Yeah. Goodness. I would I would not want to have you critique my film. <laughs> Goodness. Oh well. I think shall we okay. wrap things up there? Yeah, yeah. Well, well that was a big news item, so mm. we uh, I think we went off for a bit longer than usual, but um yeah, if uh, if you're still here, thanks for sticking around. Yep. And so before we sign off, we'd like to remind everyone that you can find us on social media. Our Twitter and Instagram is both Real Japan Guys. And we have a website at thereal.jp. And you can email us at mail at thereal.jp. Find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So with all that being said, we will see you all again next week.
Goodbye, listeners. Bye-bye.